Cigar Thoughts, Game 2. Seahawks kick doubters in the nuts. Beat Lions in overtime thriller. The Seattle Seahawks won a wild one in Detroit, defeating the Lions 37-31 to improve to 1-1 on the season. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. If the NFL season was a poker game, the hand the Seattle Seahawks were dealt today was a tough one. Not only were they coming off a monumental letdown in the opener, they were traveling for an early road game against a team with tremendous vibes. The Detroit Lions weren't just 1-0. They were coming off a win against the defending champs, riding the highest expectations in decades, and inducting my favorite football player of all time, Barry Sanders, into their ring of fame with a statue unveiling. Everything lined up for the Seahawks to fall to 0-2. So of course, they snuck out with a win that was dramatic even by their cardiac standards. Seattle received the opening kickoff and, with a raucous Motor City crowd gooning in their ears, proceeded to systematically disassemble a Lions defense that held the Kansas City Chiefs to just 20 points last week. It started with a shifty, darting 14-yard run by Ken Walker, and was followed up by a toe-tapping sideline catch for seven by Jackson Smith and Jigba. The Lions then tried their version of a 12th man, and the resultant penalty moved the chains again. Then it was 18 yards to DK Metcalf on a dig route that buckled the corner's knees, and, a few plays later, Geno Smith went back to him up the seam. On this play, Metcalf slipped inside the cornerback and angled upfield as the safety closed on him from the middle. Smith's throw was a bit low and behind Metcalf, but his gargantuan target adjusted to it beautifully and hauled it in before getting hammered from both sides at the one. The hit briefly knocked both Metcalf and the safety out of the game, but it set up Walker's touchdown plunge a minute later. With all of the negativity from last week, and the Lions surfing a massive wave after their debut, it was a near-flawless possession to give the Seahawks a 7-0 lead. All in all, the drive lasted 12 plays, covering 75 yards and seeing Smith go 5-for-5 for 58 yards. Perfect execution, no notes. Unfortunately, the Seattle defense also had to play. The Seahawks defenders got back in their patched-up canoe after wrecking it on the rocks against the Rams last week and immediately tipped over. Jared Goff went 4-for-4 on the drive, making easy connections with his receivers devoid of anything resembling pressure from the Hawks' pass rush. Detroit also ran the ball three times for 15 yards on the drive, but it was Goff finding Josh Reynolds on a simple post route for a touchdown to tie the game at 7. The Seahawks didn't do much on their next possession, getting one first down before punting it back to their hosts. That set up more of the same from Detroit, uncorking a 12-play drive of their own that covered 57 yards with a series of short completions and gashing runs that left Seattle's D hugging air in the open field. They got as far as Seattle's 28, but a third and one run was stuffed by Uchenna Nwosu and Jordan Brooks, Seattle's first real positive defensive play. Lions head coach Dan Gamble left his offense on the field, trusting his to-this-point perfect QB to convert on fourth and four. Goff dropped back, looked to his right, and fired a bullet to rookie tight end Sam Laporta. Initially, it looked like the latest in a never-ending string of first downs for Detroit, but Seattle's own rookie made his mark. Devin Witherspoon, making his NFL debut, broke on the ball and snaked his hand in to break up the pass and give his team the ball back. It was a massive play at the time, if for no other reason than to prove to themselves that they were actually capable of a stop. Seattle's ensuing possession had promise, using an 11-yard reception by Tyler Lockett and a pretty 31-yard wheel route from Noah Fant to get into scoring range. 
The drive stalled out there, bringing Jason Myers out for a 45-yard field goal. Myers, who was arguably Seattle's most consistent player last year, immediately proceeded to duck-hook the attempt wide left, just as he did against Los Angeles last week. It was a big missed opportunity for a team in desperate need of a momentum shift, and it introduced doubt into the Seahawks kicker's position for the first time in a long while. The Lions didn't waste a moment in making the Seahawks pay. David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs ran it thrice for two first downs, while Amon Ross St. Brown and Reynolds added catches of 8 and 20 yards respectively. That's when Detroit OC Ben Johnson seized his opportunity. On first down, Goff handed the ball off to Montgomery, who took a step forward before turning and pitching it back to his quarterback. Witherspoon, eager to go make a play, got caught with his eyes in the backfield, and by the time Goff got the ball back, Khalif Raymond was four steps behind him en route to an easy touchdown. 14-7 Lions, and the Seahawks had some wounds to lick. Seattle would get a first down on their next possession thanks to a 9-yard grab by Lockett and a beautiful 16-yard reception from Smith and Jigba. It was the perfect encapsulation of why the Seahawks made JSN the first wide receiver drafted this year. On third down, Geno dropped back and found no one open, slipping pressure in the pocket and stepping out to his right. By then, Smith and Jigba had lost his defender in the wash and mirrored his QB's movements to get open for the first down. It was a Doug Baldwin-esque savior route, and hopefully a glimpse into what lies ahead. Seattle would eventually get to Detroit's 43, forcing a 4-3 and and presenting Pete Carroll an opportunity to shed his maddeningly conservative history and embrace a bright new future of trusting both his offense and the analytics. Instead, they tried a half-hearted hard count and punted it away like cowards. Disappointing. Michael Dixon hit a beautiful punt that preseason hero Jake Bobo downed at the 5, and Carroll's decision to chicken out was bailed out when Gibbs dropped what should have been a huge gain. Instead, the Lions had to kick it back to Seattle, and the Seahawks had one last chance to score before the break. It was an effective possession from a yards gain standpoint, as Smith found Zach Charbonnet for 5, Lockett for 7, Fant for 4, and Lockett again for 10. Unfortunately, not a single one of those players could get out of bounds, and Seattle was forced to send Myers out for a 56-yard attempt. It was an opportunity for their beleaguered kicker to rebuild his confidence, but Myers tugged this one left again, and the Seahawks were one second away from heading to the locker room, holding a bouquet of missed opportunities. The Lions ran one last play, completing a huge pass to St. Brown for 39, but Trey Brown ripped the ball away, and Julian Love scooped it up to end the half with the home team leading 14-7. Even though Seattle was down by a touchdown and had blown a handful of chances to have a lead, I was feeling strangely okay. The offense looked so much better than it did last week, and the defense seemed to be finding their feet a bit. Detroit started the third quarter with the ball, but apparently had no interest in keeping it. For the second straight play, they coughed it up, this time when Nwosu blew through the tight end tasked with blocking him and yanked the ball out of Montgomery's hands. The pigskin was pounced upon by Jaron Reed, which set the offense up just outside of the red zone. That's when offensive coordinator Shane Waldron got freaky lining up two of his tight ends in the backfield and keeping his third one in line. Smith dropped back, and with his tight ends running silly little routes everywhere, found a wide-open friend of the show, Colby Parkinson, for 20 yards to the Detroit 3. That big play was followed up by Walker's second TD run of the afternoon, and this game was suddenly tied at 14. The Lions' offense apparently had enough of the bullshit and started slicing flesh off a suddenly confident Seahawks defense. It took them nine plays to go 75 yards, punctuating a no-nonsense drive with a four-yard Montgomery touchdown plunge. 
Just when it looked like things were swinging in Seattle's favor, Detroit was back up by seven. Still, the Seahawks remained resilient and cobbled together yet another extended possession. This one lasted 12 plays and included two completions to Metcalf, notable because of his previous injury absence. Walker added two long runs to help Seattle get inside the 10 before a fumbled snap and consecutive incompletions forced them to settle for yet another field goal attempt. This one was too close to miss, and Myers banged it through to make the score 21-17. The goal line adjacent stop gave Detroit a chance to gain some much-needed separation, but they were unable to convert, as Campbell decided to go for it on fourth down from his own 45 after Bobby Wagner stoned Gibbs up the middle on third and short. On the play, Rookie Derek Hall beat his man off the edge and forced a throw over the middle to Reynolds, who was shadowed by Witherspoon. Seattle's number five overall pick actually got his head around quicker than the receiver, and as he did so, got his feet tangled up with Reynolds. The refs accurately deemed the contact incidental, and Seattle took over in plus territory with a chance to take the lead. And this time, they delivered. After a false start, Geno dumped it off to Charbonnet for nine, then hit Will Disley on a little slip route for 13 more. Smith and Jigba got six on the next play, and Charbonnet gained five more up the middle after that. That put Seattle in the red zone, but a horrific intentional grounding call against Smith on a miscommunication with Lockett made it second and 20. Smith responded by scrambling for 15 on the next play, and after an illegal formation penalty, found Lockett for 12 and a first down on a simple out route. Charbonnet rammed it down to the three, then Smith calmly flaked play action and lobbed it into the end zone to a crossing locket for Seattle's first advantage since the opening possession. Now, the question was whether the Seahawks could protect the lead. Instead, they did us one better. After Detroit ground out a first down, Seattle's mounting pressure forced a Goff throw behind his receiver and into the waiting arms of Trey Brown, who corralled the pass and sprinted 40 unfettered yards to a 31-21 lead. With Seattle up 10 and just over 8 minutes left, All they needed was one more stop. The Lions had other ideas. They used a massive 10 play possession to go 75 yards, with Goff nailing Reynolds over the middle from four yards out to make it 31-28 with three minutes to go. The Lions still had all three timeouts and the two minute warning left, meaning the Seahawks would need to get two first downs to ice the victory. Normally, this would call for some at least exploratory runs to work the clock and potentially move the sticks, but the Seahawks came out throwing instead. It went about as poorly as you can imagine, short of a turnover. They didn't hand the ball off once, instead drawing up four pass plays, including an offensive P.I. call against Parkinson. The abomination of a drive ended when Smith inexplicably ran into a 17-yard sack on his own five-yard line, and Seattle had to punt out of their own end zone. That gave the Lions enough time to march down the Seahawks' 20 and kick a game-tying field goal as the clock expired. I suppose it's what this game deserved. A rowdy affair devoid of reason hurtling through the football universe guided by neither physics nor principle. The team sent out their champions for the coin toss, with Carroll keeping his tradition of using his backup QB to call it. This time, Drew Locke chose wisely, shouting tails and being rewarded when the quarter hit the turf. That gave the ball to Geno and co. with a chance to slam the door. The anatomy of a game-winning drive. Starting on his own 25, with a chance to get the Seahawks' season upright again, Smith went to work with the same sort of precise execution we've grown accustomed to from him. On first down, he navigated a moving pocket until Fant settled down in the middle of the field. Smith's throw hit him between the numbers for 17, and after his next pass was batted down at the line, he hit Fant again for four more. That made it third and six, meaning a great player was going to need to make a great play. 
And that's exactly what DK Metcalf did. Lining up on the right side of the formation, Seattle's F-14 exploded off the line, pushing the defender upfield before breaking inside and cradling a perfectly placed spiral from Geno for 16. A massive play in a major moment. Then it was DJ Dallas up the middle for three, followed by Parkinson down the left sideline for 21 more. That put Seattle on Detroit's 14. An easy field goal range, but three points probably wouldn't have been enough. To Seattle's credit, that's exactly how they played it. Walker took the next snap around the right end for three, picking his way through tacklers as he had all day. Then Smith hit Metcalf for six down to the five. And then he went back to one of the greatest receivers in franchise history. On third in game, Geno took the snap, dropped back, and whipped a pass towards the right hash, where it was snagged by Lockett's tiny little toddler hands. Tyler, who had just eviscerated the coverage with a little two-step, cradled the ball and turned up field, diving for the end zone, slapping the pylon with the ball for victory, and waving the crowd goodbye as the official extended his arms upward. Seahawks 37, Lions 31. An exhausting, cathartic victory for a team in desperate need of it, despite how early it is in the season. Smoke Rings Geno Smith was exceptional today. After maybe his worst game as a starter in Seattle, Smith showed why the team made him their most recent franchise QB with that contract extension. He completed 32 of 41 passes for 328 yards, two touchdowns, and no turnovers while running for 20 more. He was poised, decisive, and excellent, never panicking, and always ready for what the moment demanded. Smith's throws were remarkably on target. It's one thing to complete passes, but it's another entirely to make them easy to catch every time. He led his receivers when necessary and bent them away from defenders whenever the situation called for it. Outside of his bewildering sack in the fourth, he was damn near perfect, and the way he orchestrated the game-ending drive was flawless. Whatever doubts we may have had about whether we'd seen the best of Smith, if last year was a fluke, whether the league had figured him out, Gino snuffed them out like the night's last cigarette. My confidence in him didn't waver after last week, but I was definitely on notice. He validated every ounce of the team's faith in him with his performance today. Seattle didn't have much in the way of explosive runs, but their ball carriers did a great job with what was available. Ken Walker was better than his stat line might indicate, as it felt like he had more missed tackles forced than rushing yards. He dealt with free tacklers at or behind the line of scrimmage on nearly every run, but translated his tribulations into 54 yards and two touchdowns on 18 opportunities. He had the juice today and picked up some big first downs in a game where every one of them mattered. If Walker zigs around the chessboard like a knight, then Zach Charbonnet is the rook. Seattle's rookie runner did well with limited opportunities, charging straight ahead and getting the tough yards when situations demanded it. Four carries and two catches for 30 total yards as he slowly works his way into this offense. For as good as Geno was, his receivers were every bit as impressive. And what more can we say about Tyler Lockett? Neither his size age, real estate license, nor virginity has slowed him down one iota, and he came through with a litany of big moments in this one. Smith dialed him up a team high 10 times, completing eight of them for 59 yards and two scores. Lockett was constantly open and continuously displayed his legendary field awareness. His game-winning touchdown was all heart, and the demise the league has been waiting for doesn't appear to be anywhere in sight. DK Metcalf's evolution as a receiver has been so fun to watch. He didn't light the box score up, but he caught all six of his targets for 75 yards and set up both Seattle's first and last touchdowns with big-time catches inside the five. 
The body control he's displayed on his routes and the stickiness of his hand so far this season are all indicative of a veteran wide receiver in the process of making the leap. His 16-yard grab on 3rd and 6 in overtime was technically perfect and one of the biggest plays in the entire game. Yet another year of he and Lockett infuriating defenses. For the first time ever, DK and Tyler have a third musketeer. Jackson Smith and Jigba isn't commanding the target share yet that he inevitably will, but he's been real good with the opportunities he's had thus far. He tied Metcalf with six targets, snagging five of them for 34 yards, including the beautiful sideline grab in the first and the scrambling 16-yarder in the second. His development is going to be very fun to watch. The tight ends did what they do today, making the most of their chances and converting them into big plays and big moments. Noah Fant led the way with four catches and 54 yards, with Colby Parkinson catching two for 41 more. Will Disley added three grabs for 35 yards, giving the multifaceted position group nine catches on 10 targets for 130 yards. Add in their efficacy blocking a talented Detroit D-line, and you have a remarkable group effort. So much was made, and rightfully so, about Seattle losing their two blossoming offensive tackles, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, last week. There was a lot of consternation, including from your beloved author, about how well Stone Forsyth and Jake Curran would do against Aiden Hutchison and the rest. Well, the results are in, and the test scores were exemplary. Despite another injury, this one to center Evan Brown, Seattle's O-line allowed just the one sack, and even that one is tough to pin on them. They played to a stalemate in the run game, but allowed their team to be ruthless through the air, as the Seahawks averaged 8 yards per pass attempt en route to 6 separate scoring drives. For all of the good things we saw today, perhaps nothing was more encouraging than how this beat-up unit performed. We talked a lot last week and last season about this team's defensive struggles. Don't get me wrong, Sean McVay and Ben Johnson is a brutal combination of play callers to start your season against, but the Seahawks haven't done much to test them. That being said, the way they played in the second half was very encouraging. After allowing nearly 10 yards per play over the game's first two quarters, the Hawks' D finally got disruptive in the second half. They bookended halftime with consecutive fumble recoveries, added a pick six, and sacked off twice in the second half. They finally started blitzing and got some crucial one-on-one wins from members of their defensive line. Uchenna Nwosu returned to his usual disruptive self and was joined in the backfield by big plays late from Derek Hall, Daryl Taylor, Mario Edwards Jr., Jaron Reed, Cam Young, Trey Brown, and Draymond Jones. For the second straight game, they were solid against the run as well certainly after the first three drives. They held the Lions to less than three yards per carry after the first quarter and helped create the turnovers that played such a huge role in today's victory. For a good chunk of this game, the linebackers displayed the same struggles that have haunted them since last season. They were either out of position or a touch slow on the intermediate routes Goff feasted on and whiffed on a number of tackles in the box. You could have put any three Seahawks defenders in an elevator with a Lions ball carrier in the first half, and he still would have gotten a first down. Without Devin Bush and Boye Mafe, the pressure was even more concentrated on Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner, and for a long time, they just didn't seem ready to meet the challenge. But something changed in the locker room, and they were back to their sure-handed selves after that, roping Lions runners down like so many rodeo calves and keeping their offense within striking distance. Both Wagner and Brooks had nice plays in the passing game as well, with Brooks recording 11 tackles to Wagner's 10. The only player who put his hat on the ball more than those two was Julian Love, who notched 13 takedowns to go with his fumble recovery. He wasn't as sticky in coverage as you might like, but he certainly wasn't bad, and he was definitely willing to stick his nose in on every single play. 
It will be interesting to see how Seattle handles their secondary when Jamal Adams returns, but Love is making a great case to stay on the field. Devin Witherspoon made his long-awaited NFL debut today and had a bit of a mixed bag. He showcased the toughness that made him so attractive in college with two great open field tackles, We got beat on a couple of big routes as well, including the flea flicker touchdown that took advantage of his aggressiveness. That being said, he broke up Detroit's first fourth down pass attempt with a stellar coverage rep against Sam Laporta and perfectly traced Josh Reynolds on the Lions' other unsuccessful fourth down try. In a perfect world, he would have come out looking like prime Deion Sanders, but I saw enough today to remain supremely optimistic about his prospects in this league. It doesn't sound like Reek Woolen's shoulder injury is serious, but if it lingers, Witherspoon's contributions become even more crucial. Trey Brown, have a day. He gave up a couple of completions, as any defensive back is wont to do in this league. But he came back with two massive plays in the fourth quarter that had a huge impact on today's win. His pick six was the most notable of the two, but his third down pass breakup might have been even more impressive. On that play, he was guarding the outside receiver on the left side of the offensive formation. His man cut up field, getting even with Brown as Goff set his feet to throw. But instead of turning to run with his receiver, Brown read the play and broke towards the seam. As the ball arrived, he laid out and tipped the pass away on a play that was a beautiful confluence of confidence, anticipation, and athleticism. Add a fumble recovery and a tackle for loss to the mix, and you've got yourself one hell of a game. Gotta clean up the penalties. Seattle got away with it today, but 9 fouls for 80 yards while your opponent goes 4 for 24 is hardly a recipe for winning. I'd profess some confidence in this happening, but nothing about the Pete Carroll era suggests it will. Look, this is why I preach patience. As frustrating as last week was, the first game of the season does not carry a strong correlation to a squad's final record. A lot of good teams lost last week, and it appears Seattle may have been one of them. What we saw today wasn't perfect, but perfect shouldn't be the expectation. What I really care about is resilience, adjustments, and performance in high-leverage situations. And the Seahawks gave us all of that today. You've heard me say it a million times, but the NFL season is made up of a bunch of little seasons within it, and the gap between good and bad teams isn't nearly as big as we like to think. I know it was tempting to start digging a grave for the Seahawks after the second half of week one, but honestly, we should all know better than that by now. There will be more frustrations this season, more maddening losses, but here's the thing. Every team has them. There was a lot of good in today's game, and the team made big plays when they had to. There are 15 games left, and the Seahawks still look capable of winning an awful lot of them. Next week, it's the Carolina Panthers and an opportunity to be 2-1, with all of us feeling real good about things. Here's to another sunny recap next Sunday. Until then, onwards and upwards, my friends. The first win of the season was accompanied by the Figaro Especial from Jaime Garcia, a medium-bodied cigar with the smoothness I was grateful for during such a hectic game. It's got a little bite on the front end, but evened out as I smoked it, burning slowly and holding its ash well. While it's not the type of stogie I'd write a poem about, it strikes me as a great golf course smoke. And if you didn't know, we also have our own cigars now, which you can order at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. We've linked up with one of the premier cigar manufacturers in the world to offer a special 13-year-aged blend of Dominican tobacco leaf to Cigar Thoughts readers for less than half of MSRP. These cigars banded and branded by their creator, sell for $35 to $40 per stick, but we're able to offer them to you for just $169 for a bundle of 10. They come with a Mylar bag and Bovita humidification pack, 
so they'll stay fresh whether you have a humidor or not. You can even use the link in the show page wherever you're listening to this. We're also on YouTube, where you can catch video clips from the podcast, entire episodes, and the audio recordings of the articles like this one. This may be the best way to support Cigar Thoughts, so I appreciate the few seconds it takes to like and subscribe. This is the fifth year of our incredible partnership with Seattle Cigar Concierge. They have the plug on some of the most insane stogies on the market, and they're offering them to Cigar Thoughts readers for 20% off. These are extremely special sticks, and among the most enjoyable I've ever smoked. To get the hookup, just email seattlecigarconcierge at gmail.com. They are carrying over 70 cigar brands, with many rare releases including Davidoff, Opus X, and Padron. You can also hit them up on Twitter at at Seattle Cigars. Just be sure to mention that you're a Cigar Thoughts reader. Many of you have taken advantage of this incredible opportunity, and for those who have always wondered what elite cigars are like, this may be the best chance you get to step into that world.